All right, we're going to dive into Ephesians 3. Let me pray, and then I'll read our passage this morning. Father, would you open our hearts and minds this morning as we read your word in just a second, that you would use it to pierce us through, that the parts of this that seem lofty uh, and seem just otherworldly to us, Lord, do you help connect that deeply to our hearts as men, uh, that uh, you would use your word to do what your word promises, that it would change us this morning, that it would um, reveal those places in us um, that do not fully comprehend and have not fully received the power of the gospel. And it would, it would encourage us that as we go to wherever we're going after this, uh, whatever our labors look like, uh, that we are part of your church and a part of your mission. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me read. I want to read Ephesians 3. Matt, I'm going to start with what Matt, uh, one of our pastors last week, the passage he looked at. I'm going to start there, and we're going to put all of this in context this morning. So I'm going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, this is God's word for us this morning. Uh, Leslie Newbigin was a missionary, Presbyterian missionary from the United Kingdom. He was sent in the 1950s, about maybe 1949, around then, uh, to serve as a missionary to India, and he served for roughly 25 years. Uh, when he retired and came back to the United Kingdom, and he came back to the country of England, he was surprised at what he saw. He found a country that was very different than he, the country he had left 25 years earlier. He realized that he had left a country to go to the mission field, and when he came back to his home country, he found a new mission field, that there is a need for the gospel and for gospel witness and for mission in his home country of England just as much as there was in India. And he began to write and to think and to apply all that he had learned on the mission field and what it meant to be a missionary to Western culture. He began to challenge the church especially the established church, to start behaving as if it were on the mission field. 
Because what he saw was, the truth is, the church is, wherever it finds itself, on a mission field. I think at times when we come to a church like this, and if this is your home church, you're coming from another church, or if you've grown up in church, especially if it's in the West, in a country like ours, in a state like ours, a church that's established like this, you think really our mission is out there, which is true. Don't get me wrong and don't hear me wrong this morning. We are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But that does not necessarily mean that our mission here in our own city has been accomplished, right? And, and to begin to think of a church like this, an established church, what if a church like Park City's Presbyterian Church started behaving like a church plant again? Would we think about things differently? How might we strategize? Another way to think about it is this, and this is a question I want you to wrestle with at your tables. Have you ever been on a mission trip? Have you ever been on a mission trip, and especially if it's your first one, or perhaps for you, any time you've ever gone on a mission trip, you experience this amazing, um, some people call it like a camp high, right? Where you go and you are sharing the gospel with people and you're serving and you, you, you begin to think, wait a minute, why do I not do this every single day back at home? And you return back to your hometown, whatever that is, and if for you, right, it's Dallas, and you think, okay, I'm going to live differently. And how long does that last? Maybe if you're lucky, a few weeks, not alone a few months, and then eventually you just kind of get back into just your own cultural habits, right? You forget what it's like to live a life as if you were on a mission. If you were going to plan a mission trip to the city of Dallas, and a mission team was coming to you and said, what should we do? What neighborhood should we go to? What would gospel proclamation look like? What should our mission be? What would you tell them? What would it look like to go on a mission trip right here in the city of Dallas? What I want you to begin to wrestle with this morning, brothers, is that if you know Jesus Christ, that necessarily means that you are part of his church. We've been talking about that over the last several weeks, that to know Christ is to be a part of his church. And then what I want you to see this morning is to be a part of his church means you are a part of his mission. Ephesians 1, God tells us what his mission is. Right? Before the foundation of the world, he has set out a plan. What's his plan? To unite all things in earth and on heaven to himself. What I want you to see this morning is his method, his strategy to fulfill that plan, to unite all things to himself is through the church. That is how he is going to change the world. So first way I want you to see this is the church is made up of stewards. The church is made up of stewards. And I want you to see this in verse 2. Verse 2, this is, again, a part of the section that you guys looked at last week. And as he talked about Jew and Gentile being united together in Christ, you, you kind of went over this verse, verse 2. Paul is a prisoner, right? He is in chains. He's trying to encourage the Ephesian people, the Ephesian church, not to lose heart that he's in prison because the reason why he's in prison is because he's proclaiming the gospel, and the gospel is spreading. And then he says this. He says, assuming 
that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So notice, what is Paul calling himself as this apostle, as this missionary, as this proclaimer of the gospel to the lost? He's saying, I'm a steward. I'm a steward of grace. Now, what's a steward? If you know anything about stewardship and that word, or what a steward is, it's a manager. It's somebody who's been entrusted with something, someone who's been given something to manage, to oversee. In some ways, a steward, doesn't. it's not necessarily theirs to just keep to themselves, right? It's theirs to use at the discretion of the owner. Notice what Paul says. He's not just a steward of money, not just a steward of talent, not just a steward of time, but what is he a steward of? Of the very grace of God. Paul says, I am a steward of the gospel. Brothers, what I want you to begin to wrestle with this morning is if, if you know the grace of God, then you are a steward of the grace of God. The grace of God has not been given to you to keep to yourself, to enjoy for yourself, to just kind of be lavished in, as Paul's language, yourself. But God has entrusted to you the grace of God so that you could steward it and so that you could give it to others. Some of you guys have maybe heard me use this illustration before, but it's just a fascinating show. I don't know that it's on anymore, but have you ever seen the show Hoarders? You know what Hoarders is about? It's about people who really have these deep issues and these uh, mental anguish, a lot of times connected to deep fear and anxiety where they begin to just keep everything and they hoard everything to themselves. Now, I don't want to pick, I don't think my dad listens to this, um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and by no means is he that category, but my parents have lived in the same house since I was five years old. And the amount of things that they have amassed <laughs> and accumulated over the years and I'll be honest, some of it's my stuff, and, and some of you guys are starting to do this with your kids as they leave the house, and you're like, hey, take your stuff. And if they're anything like me, they say, I don't want it. <laughs> like, you keep it. I don't, I don't want any more stuff, right? There's something in us that we just keep things to ourselves. And, and my point is this, the gospel is not something for us to hoard. And the gospel is not something for us to keep to ourselves if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are called to steward the gospel to share the gospel. And this is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, if you were with us, I believe it was last semester, and we looked at Christ the Old Testament. And you remember what God told Abraham? God's covenant with Abraham was, um, I'm going to bless you. Abraham, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to bless you so that you will then be a blessing. Not just, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're just going to just keep all the blessing. No, the reason why I am blessing you, Abraham, is I have a plan, I have a vision for the entire world. And so, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you would be a blessing. Or think about Jesus' relationship with his disciples. What if Christ raised up these 12 men and said, I'm just here for you, just you 12 and I'm the light of the world, and I'm giving myself, Jesus Christ, I'm giving the light to you, disciples. And this is where it ends. But that wasn't the vision. That wasn't the plan. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came to the twelve so that they would in turn be lights to the world. And we'll see this passage in more detail in just a second. But 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says that we have been reconciled in order 
that we would be now ministers of reconciliation. The reason why God has reconciled our relationship to himself and healed that is so it could bring his healing grace to the world. So my question for you this morning is, how are you stewarding God's grace? Are you being a good manager of God's grace? This grace that's been entrusted to you, or are you hoarding it to yourself? Second, second, we see this, that the church is made up of ministers. I want you to look at verse 7. Paul says, of this gospel, right, the gospel of grace, this gospel to Jew and Gentile, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection to redeem the lost, to unite all things to himself. This gospel, this good news, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. A couple things I want you to notice here. Again, notice he recognizes that this grace is a gift. He talked about this back in chapter two, right? Not by works that he could boast, but this has been a gift given to him Again, not for him to keep to himself, but to steward. This was done by a working of his power. And this grace, he's been made a minister. Now, what is a minister? What is a Christian minister? Here at PCPC, uh, my role, and we have nine others right now, or eight others, I think there's nine total, we have pastors. I do not want to be called a minister. Unless by that, you mean that I'm a minister just like you. If you think that a minister is just the office of pastor, then you're missing the vision of Scripture and Paul's really vision in Scripture of what ministry actually looks like. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but Ephesians 4 this is what he says. You can turn there. You can just listen. This is Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul talks about the job description of a shepherd, of a teacher. And he says that God gave shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what is a shepherd? What's a teacher? A shepherd, a teacher, a pastor, our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, who are the saints? If you go all the way back to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's writing this letter to the saints who are at Ephesus. Who are the saints? The saints are all those who are believers in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. You might not feel like it all the time, but you are a saint. You are a saint because of Christ's blood shed for you. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that what Paul is saying is that the job description of a pastor is to equip the people of God for the work of ministry. That means that you are a minister. Did you know that? Did you realize that? That if you've been given, as Paul has, if you've been given the gift of God's grace, that means now you have been called to ministry and you are a minister. How has he called you to ministry? It's a great question to ask yourself. Because the reality is, you've been called to do ministry in a place that I cannot do it. Sure, I could try, but you have been uniquely gifted and uniquely placed in the various 
occupations and families and neighborhoods that God has put you in order to do the work of ministry. Have you ever thought of your job as a job that is fulfilling the work of ministry? Have you ever thought of your role as a husband or a father or a roommate as the work of ministry? Have you ever thought about the reason why you live in the neighborhood that you live in with the neighbors that you have is for the work of ministry, to fulfill God's mission to unite all things to himself? If you're part of the church, if you are a Christian, you're part of the church. If you're part of the church, you are called to mission. You're called to ministry. The third thing I want you to see, third thing I want you to see is the church is made up of ordinary, messed up people. And God has always used ordinary, messed up people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul says. Again, you can turn there or you can just write this down. 2 Corinthians 5, I'll begin reading in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You hear that? All right, this is just what we were talking about, the idea that you've been reconciled to God, that before Christ you were cut off from the promise Right, to use Paul's language, right, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you've been reconciled to God through Christ. And now you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. He doesn't stop there, though. He says that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, you've been reconciled to God. Right? Your relationship with him has been restored, and you've been entrusted with this message of reconciliation, this gospel story, right? the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again to save sinners. I wonder, as you hear that this morning, does that feel too lofty for you? Do any of you feel unworthy? Do any of you feel disqualified? As you look back at your last week or last month or last year, or perhaps you look back on the whole of your life, do you look at that and say, how could I be a steward of God's grace? I I don't even know how to receive it for myself. Or how can I be called to ministry? I, I feel so unworthy, so disqualified. How can I fulfill this Mission of reconciliation. How can I be a part of that? I have no business. I'm so broken. You're in good company. I want you to hear what Paul says. Paul says this in verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says that he is the very least of all the saints. Again, who are the saints? Again, you can't have in your mind like St. Michael and St. I mean, that's, it's, no, saints are just us, ordinary Christians. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm the very least of Christianity. 
And he means it so much that he's inventing a Greek word. The word very least doesn't even exist until now, and it means the very lesser of the least. Right? You couldn't get any lower than this in Paul's mind. And you think, well, how could that be? This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's the greatest missionary the world's ever known. Right? This is, this is our hero. How could he be the very least of Christians? Remember, who was Paul before he became this great missionary? Who was Paul before he became this great theologian of salvation through faith alone, by God's grace alone? Who was Paul? He was a murderer of Christians. Set out against the church to destroy it. A persecutor. He was a terrorist. And yet God, by his grace, came down on the road to Damascus, and he wrecked his life. And he came to him, and he showed him in the person of Jesus Christ that everything his life had been about was absolutely wrong. It was, abhor it was abhorrent to the gospel of grace, and that not only was God now saving him through Jesus Christ, but now he was calling him to be his ambassador. I know at times, brothers, you probably feel like you're the very least of the saints. I feel that way too. But God has given us grace, and he has picked us up by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we could be his ambassadors. Every one of you has a story of rescue. Every one of you has a story to tell. Every one of you has some kind of Damascus Road story. For some of you, yes, that was when you were five years old. Praise the Lord. We've talked about that. That's all my prayer for my girls, right? Others of you, it's much more recent, and perhaps some of you this morning have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. Do you know God's grace? If you do, you are his ambassador. And he has always used broken, screwed up men and women to build his church. This was true of the 12 disciples. It was true of Paul. It was true of even David, as we study on Sunday mornings. Last thing, and I'll send you to your tables. The church is God's plan to change the world. This didn't feel lofty and big yet. It's going to feel even bigger. Because what Paul's about to tell us is that all of this, all of this is to fulfill the mission of God. And God's mission is so big that it's no less than to change the world, both in heaven and on earth. The way he's going to do that, through the church, through you and me. Verse 10, he says that this, he says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's point is this, don't lose heart. Don't be saddened for me. Don't be worried for me because I'm prison. Because the reason I'm here is no less than the complete transformation of the entire world. <laughs> It's for your glory. It's for the glory of the entire world. 
I'm sure you guys, uh, some of you may know about what's going on in China right now in the underground church. And again, just reports coming out even yesterday um, that the persecution they are facing. And what has struck me as I have read their testimony of the persecution they face is their language sounds just like this. And I can't tell you how humbling that is for me. And I'm sure it is for you too. To hear them say, don't, don't worry about us. Yes, we are being thrown in prison. Yes, we don't know what's going to come of us. Yes, we've even been beaten. Yes, we are afraid. But all of this, we pray, is for the glory of God. And so that China and the world would be changed by the gospel. How can you have a perspective like that? Only if you see that what you do every day really matters for the sake of the kingdom. And that's where we're going to end. He says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities of heavenly places. I just, where I want to end is verse 10. I want you to notice a few things. Notice he says, through the church. Again, who's the church? I can't say this enough. The church is not a building. So when you read that, through the church, he's not talking about this building. The church is not just this institution. When he says through the church, he's not talking about pastors like me or leadership of the church or people who are called to be missionaries. One of the things I say all the time is you might not be called to be a missionary, but you are called to be a part of mission. Maybe he is calling you to be a foreign missionary, but even if he's not, you are called to send missionaries, to pray for missionaries, and then to live as if you're a missionary right here in your own city. But the idea that this is just reserved for a, a few, that's exactly the opposite of what Paul's saying. Through the church, who's the church? That's all of us. All of us who are in Christ Jesus. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The word manifold here, the manifold wisdom of God in Greek, literally means multicolored. It's a great word. The multicolored wisdom of God. What does he mean by that? I think there's two aspects. The first aspect is that God's wisdom is multifaceted. It is broad, it is high, it is wide, it is deep. And he is displaying that kind of wisdom through the church. The kind of wisdom that would unfold as a plan to unite all things to himself. But the other aspect of God's multicolored wisdom, not just that it's multifaceted, but I believe he's talking about that it is multicolored and that it's multi-ethnic. It's multi-socioeconomic. In other words, that the church now is no longer just reserved to the people of Israel, but the church is now every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That the church and how different we are, all are, but united in Christ, now displays the multicolored wisdom of God to the world. And notice he says, made known to the rulers and authorities, not just rulers and authorities here, but in heaven. That this plan to unite all things to himself is to put, yes, on display to the world, that the gospel is true, but it's put on display to the angels, to the host of heaven. God's plan will be fulfilled. That is high, that is lofty, that is big. And brothers, what I want you to begin to see this morning 
that you are a part of that plan. You are a part of that mission. God has redeemed you, if you know Jesus Christ, to be an integral part of his mission to redeem the world. And he has gifted each of you very specifically to be a part of that mission. He has placed you, each of you, very specifically to be a light, to be a blessing, to be a messenger and a minister of reconciliation, to be a part of his mission. Let me pray for you. I'll send you to your table so you can begin to wrestle with these things as a group. Father, as we read these things, we hear these things, we find ourselves feeling like this is it's too big for us. And I think that is an appropriate feeling because it is too big for us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin to recognize that you truly have empowered us by the Holy Spirit. That the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in us and is bringing the work of redemption to our bodies. And that as we are sanctified and as we are redeemed, we pray, Lord Christ, that this grace that has changed us, that this grace we would not keep to ourselves, that you would help us to be your ambassadors, that we would be stewards of this grace, and that we would freely share it with others, that we would be ministers of the gospel, that we would see our vocations, our roles as men in this world as the work of ministry. Father, we'd see that though we perhaps have not been called to be missionaries in vocation, you have called us to the work of mission in our vocation. Help us to have a missional view to everything that we do. And finally, Lord, as we recognize that we are broken, help us to not just tell others about Jesus and neglect to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. Father, may we receive the grace that we give to others. And in so doing so, would we be propelled to have the same vision that Paul did, that everything we do matters for the sake of the kingdom. And Lord, we would be wise with the time that you would redeem it, and that we would use it for your glory. And for the sake of your people, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.